the bus, I had to fart the whole time. Why didn't you just oh, do it? Oh, there were people near me, and I get embarrassed. Just yeah. do it. You're Why are you embarrassed to fart? <laughs> Listen, they don't want farts. They should be driving their own car. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for validating me. That's right. Hey, it's the Sopranos Podcast <laughs> Season 5 Retrospective. I am so excited to be here today. This is great. We love our damn retrospectives. We love Season 5. This is going to be a good one. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm the gardener. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we're here to discuss everything Sopranos Season 5. We're going to talk different topics. We're going to do listener mail. We're going to do top threes. It's going to rule. Season 5. I love the retrospectives because they're basically like we're having a rap party for the season we watched. That's right. Yeah. So cool. Congratulations, us. Yeah, we did Hell it. Hell yeah. Another great season that that's we That's me patting we, myself we on the back. That's that's great. Ah, uh, we're so good <clears throat> at watching TV and talking about it. We are. Damn it's... it. <laughs> hey, it's My one to... skill. It's hard to schedule four adults in one room, so. Yeah. It fucking is. Yeah. It really is. That's why I said it. You know, I wasn't joking. No, yeah. no. It's especially hard scheduling you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a busy lady. You're busy lady. Very I've been trying important. to tell you people, Lily's a busy woman. She's a busy, <laughs> important woman. I don't know about that. Why don't you guys busy. take it easy on Lily? She's the one keeping this podcast going in this current situation and all. Oh! <laughs> all right. Let's talk about Sopranos Season 5. Just, let's start big picture. Broad brush. <laughs> What'd you think of season five as a whole? Where does it rank for you amongst the other seasons we've now seen? We're well into Sopranos canon. We have one, arguably two seasons left, depending on where you stand on that. What do you think? Where does season five fit in for you? Where does it rank? How do you feel about it as a whole? Season five fucking rules. It's awesome. Um, I think it it was the first season where I finished it, and I was like, I kind of want to go back and watch it all again. Mm. Um, it has really good rewatchability, um, which I, I don't know if that will always be the case every season, but I'll, I'll say this, like season four had a darkness and an ugliness to it that is not in season five. That's not to say season five doesn't contain long-term parking and has other really dark, <laughs> scary shit, but, um, season five does have, <clears throat> I don't want to say a, a lightness cause that almost makes it sound frivolous, but it maybe does a better job of spreading that out a little. Sure. I mean, you know, season five's got Marco Polo. It has a lot of nice lightness that the the series sort of starts with. We have a lot of fun, capital F fun, with the class of 04. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, there's some good bounce in this season, and then they, they are still capable of delivering just devastating blows. Um, yeah. It's a great season. I agree. The big thing about this season for me, actually, I think, is that it's so impressive that the show is still... Not only good, but great, and still has the capacity to surprise, which is impressive all the way through, but particularly when you get to this point when many shows, even good shows, and sometimes even really good shows, start to get a little something, a little long in the tooth. Um, on a show like The Sopranos, which does not have a huge cast, you can't have a ton of variation mm -hmm. in terms of who interacts with who. So let's do a trope, what a lot of TV shows do. Let's just bring in a bunch of people. Well, that's not going to really work, is it? It's not going to be dynamic. It's going to be predictable. It's fucking great. Yeah. yeah. Um, great characters. Heats up the war in New York. Blundetto comes in. It works. Yeah. Another thing is that coming off of season four, which was brilliant and beautiful and challenging in so many ways, but was more of a slow burn, uh, was about ennui and sadness in some ways, did 
build up to a last episode that was a barn burner. And that that last episode, particularly in terms of the home life in The Sopranos' house, does this slingshot into this season where we're in a totally new space. Yeah. Um, in terms of not only Tony being out of the house, but the spirit of him being away, what that does to everybody else, what that does to all these different interactions. Also, at the end of season four, things were up in the air in New York. And then, perhaps having died down a bit, comes back up when Carmine Sr. dies. Isn't it interesting that the question of succession causes total havoc? This seems to happen on a lot of HBO shows. <laughs> One of them is name succession. The Game of Thrones spinoff was all about the question of succession. And sure enough, it turns into a bloody war in New York that makes this season really exciting and not a particularly slow burn. They're killing people in episode three. So I agree with Jordan. It's a lot of fun. It is rewatchable. And I'm super impressed that it is still surprising after all this time. And they're still trying new stuff. Weird stuff. Out there stuff. Things that I can't predict. Yeah. Yes, Paul. I very much agree with that. You know from minute one in the season that they're going to be playing with the format a little bit, as they always do. They never replicate. I'll say this. At this point, five seasons in, no season feels exactly like one of the others. It's not like one of these shows, I don't want to throw another show under the bus, but we all have seen shows where you watch it and it all kind of bleeds together. I don't know that you're going to get that with The Sopranos. From minute one, Tony is supposed to be coming down the driveway looking at the newspaper, but he doesn't live there anymore. Meadow runs over the newspaper. That's the show's way of saying, hey, we're in new new territory here. Uh, old old uh, ways of doing business are null and void, to quote Rusty fucking Milio. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, hell of a season. This this season happened uh, for me, 2004. It was a good time in my life, and I have a lot of good memories associated with it. And it is a more, this is not a remark on quality, mind you, but it is a more fun season than the previous season. I think so. Undoubtedly. There's a lot more laughs. There's a lot more. And honestly, uh... What an irony that the dark, painful season four, the sad, is more family-based. And this is arguably a much more mob-centric season. Something that is much more inherently dark than a family. But family is obviously is always, the, the, the lowercase family is obviously always there. But I just thought this was a, a, a great season, a fun season, a lot of great stuff. Very violent. Thrill ride from minute one. Barely any dips. What did you think, Will? Yeah, season five feels different for me, and I wish I could articulate precisely why, but I think each of you hit on something that makes it feel different. I think it is the fun. But what's interesting about what you just said, Chris, about the mob being darker yet more fun and the family being maybe inherently more light but feels so dark and dreadful... So I think we all connect with it more. That's exactly right. It. Is it, it is Everybody the mob has stuff is darker. Long term parking alone is yeah. absolutely horrific for so many reasons, and we definitely feel on that one probably more because we very much care for Adriana. If you have a soul and are you know, <laughs> if you're a human fucking feel, person, yeah, feel how you should feel in that episode, but. Um, that's not fair. You can feel however you want. Anyway. No, they can't. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting that way. I think, I think there is an inherent wall up between the average viewer and the mob, which makes such dark subject matter feel fun and light 
and these guys are fun and funny. And we get Tony B, which just adds such a beautiful layer. I actually think he might be why it feels different. He's a big part of it. Uh, Steve Buscemi has, there's a reason he's so popular. He's such a renowned and prolific character actor. He just brings a certain energy. He does. He has done a lot of comedy, but he, in my opinion, starting around this time, really started showing off his dramatic chops. He did a great job, and I, I believe I agree with you. He brought such a great energy from minute one with the wisecracks and the Jackie Gleason. He was such a great foil to Tony, who has to be in this kind of hyper serious alpha mode all the time around the guys. That shit when Tony B first comes in outside of Satrials, where Tony's. You don't make fun of me, and then later on, you know, you can, we can still joke around, but, you know, not in front of the guys kind of thing. But it was an interesting dynamic. And, yeah, season five, a triumph. I would rank it, uh, you know, season five actually was my favorite for a while. That has since changed. We'll discuss that perhaps another time. But um, for me, this one's up there, man. This is pretty damn good, especially for what you said, Jordan, watchability. Very. If I'm yeah. going to just toss in a random episode, it's probably going to be something from season one or season five. Yeah, most of these can be just thrown in for fun. Any one. Yeah. Is it hard in part to rank the seasons? I'm just throwing this out sure. there. Because as you said a minute ago, Chris, they don't bleed in. Right. The, so we can, in a, in a way, we could just say, we could just mark for season five how well did it do at what it wanted to do for that season. Right. Whereas season four, they wanted to do something different. How well did that go? Um, so anyway, the way that I would look at it, both seasons, in terms of a generosity of spirit, is that they tried to do different things. I thought both worked very well. Um, but as Jordan just mentioned, season five would be much quicker to go in the DVD, when I had a DVD player, to <laughs> say, like, oh, I'm going to rewatch this one. Because um, it's fun, it's got these moments, it's got that part. Our Gen Z listeners are like, what's a DVD? <laughs> Fuck you damn kids. I, I used to have a VHS player. You have to look that up. Laser disc. <laughs> the disc is in there. The disc is in there. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Carl Molden's nose hairs look like fucking BX cables. <laughs> so, each season, and I've talked about this, Casts Tony in a different light. He's our he's our main character. Whether we can call him a protagonist or not is something to debate as we go along here. Uh, there are lots of theories and and whatnot. But Tony, in season one, we saw we, we dealt with Tony as son, surrogate son to Junior, and actual son to Livia. Season two, we saw Tony in the role of brother, the brotherhood of deep friendship that he had with Big Pussy, and also brother to Janice. Season three, we saw him as father, father figure to Jackie Jr., father to AJ and Meadow. A lot of problems with his kids. Season four, we saw him as partner, both business partnership with New York and also his marriage being the, the, at the, the thrust of the action. If I had to pick a role for Tony in season five, it would be Tony as leader, which is an interesting and new... Uh, it doesn't cast him in a kind of direct relationship to anybody so much as it does... The man alone on top of all of the decisions at the end of the day. As he, he articulates as much in a great speech to Furio in all due... Uh, to, no, wow, it's fair. To Silvio in all due respect. That at the end of... You know, you're completely alone with <clears throat> it all. That whole speech about every decision you make affects every other facet of every other fucking thing. And the falling action of the season 
happens after Tony looks at that picture of him and the general himself in the general outfit, decides to take the reins to make the decision he needs to make, the tough to sacrifice that he has to make to lead this family further, kills his own cousin, and then we the rest is basically falling action until we leave the season. Your thoughts on Tony as leader? Anything to add to that? Yeah, uh, you know, at the end of season four, uh, in fact, it becomes a theme in season four, the prior season, is that um, more harm is done by indecision than wrong decision. Um, Tony seems to be unable to uh, maybe take a little of his own advice. We get to the end of season five here, really mid mid to end. The Tony B situation, it really challenges him as a leader I think he knows what the right thing to do is, but he can't break through that wall. Sort of ironically, it is, it's, it's a part of the breakthrough that he has in Melfi's office. This uh, guilt that he's been carrying regarding Tony B. It's unfortunate, I guess, that the you know in part of the realization of what that guilt is and why it's so specific to him uh, is that it, it inevitably results in Tony B's death. Now, of course, this is because of New York. The pressure on him in this way, it's just, um, uh, it's a sad truth that Tony is probably less effective as a leader because he has human feelings for mm. other people and, and has compassion. You know, we criticize Tony a lot on our show. Oh, what an inhuman monster he is. Look at this horrible thing he did to this other person. But he does care, right? He, he cares deeply for his cousin. He cares for Tony B. I think... Some of that is tied up in his guilt, uh, and I think once he's able to move past that, he's able to make that decision, because it is affecting both his family and his familia. Yeah, it's an interesting predicament he's in in this season. I think, ultimately, he proves himself to be quite a good leader. It just takes him a while to get there. I agree. <clears throat> it's a fascinating season in that regard. Pretty much right out of the gate, we're dealing with a good deal of story where Tony, as a leader, has to make various decisions. Uh, episode 2... Not only is Jack Mazarone somebody who threatens the family as a whole, but Tony is the most direct point of contact. Tony struggles with making a decision about that as well. And everything with Tony B brings up so many important decisions that, as Jordan said, uh, our Tony, Tony S, has trouble with. The other thing that becomes big in this season is New York, which is so great with Tony as leader because that brings Tony's leadership into question. Or, in some cases, just negates it altogether. It's like, yeah, you're the boss of New Jersey, but you're small. You're right. penny ant compared to us. And I think at the end there is something, too. I want to save some of my powder for um, when we talk more about Tony B. But a lot of it rests on the Tony B question and brings up Tony S. as a leader in terms of what he's going to do and what he's going to value. And I think when he kills Tony B., it's an obvious mark to make since they have the same name. But I do think Tony is, maybe not consciously, but he's killing part of himself. He's mm. killing part of a sentimental attachment that, as a leader, I think he feels he can't afford to hang on to anymore. I agree. And I feel that way over the decision about what to do with Adriana as well. It's almost like we're killing off the more human parts of Tony in some ways. Mm. Um, but that's what's needed. Right. Uh, there's also the way he handles Feech. I mean, that's a that's a sort of an elegant tactical decision, but... Um, also feels really shitty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he hated doing that. 
Yeah. I think anytime Tony sits down in the back of the Bing with a Bialy this season, he's just made a terrible, yeah. <laughs> terrible decision. Yeah, Bialy and make. coffee is very yeah, bitter this a, season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good pull. Yeah. Nice. Uh, listen, you know, he and the guys see it too. Like, that's one of the more fascinating aspects of the season is we get a lot of these scenes, especially in the last part where... We're watching All Due Respect and all of the guys are chatting at Satrials about how Tony's good about keeping his own family out of the frying uh, pan and, and, and how he's, you know, Tony, uh, Chris complaining to, to Adriana that Tony could get us all killed with New York and Tony has to think about what to do with him. And, you know, Tony being the one, Tony S, yes, of course, being the one to have to make all these decisions, his decisions are ultimately sacrifices. In, in, in some sense and sacrifices that yeah he's making to cheer up his power but the guys see it at that that, that moment when he comes back into Satrials with his Bialy and coffee and all due respect you can tell everyone knows what he's just done yeah you know Johnny's calling up the Bing phone angry they know what's going on uh, and they're you can see that they're pleased with him for it because it at least kind of it, it was a ballsy move and it, it shows that he wasn't just looking out for himself. He was looking out for his outfit. I don't know. Any yeah, thoughts? he's in a unique situation, right? Because in a normal, this is going to be my HR brain going, in a normal employment situation, right? Mm. It's already not advised for you to work with your lowercase family yeah, right. right and that's because you may have to give have you know the kinds of difficult conversations you have in an employment situation right whether you're being written up or whether you're you know being terminated or anything like that you know that's tough to do with anybody let alone somebody who's in your family well we're in a unique situation here where you don't fire somebody you 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 kill them and so this isn't like a nor like so it's hard to say is he a good leader because again in like a normal situation like you wouldn't be mur- firing Tony B would be a very different thing than than <laughs> blowing his head off or letting New York do whatever they were going to do with him which I don't even know that I could imagine right and so yeah I think when he can remove himself from the lowercase family he's a great leader but it's it's hard to do that when it's people like Adriana and Tony B and Big Pussy and all these other people he loves more than somebody like Patsy Parisi, right? Or any of these other guys. So they're right in all due respect because mm. it just makes the, the decision that much more difficult. You bring up a good point. It's also, you know, this has happened many times on the show where like he makes his worst decisions or he becomes over emotional when it's those people that are in between right when it's pussy when it's christopher Mm -hmm. right when it's from people that are in both worlds in his life and he doesn't know how to mitigate you know um you know even uh, this is a much lesser extent but i just always think i always think of this scene for whatever reason uh you know Artie buco he's not family but he might as well be lowercase family right Ralph Cifaretto won't lend him money in season four. Why? Because if you don't pay, I can't do anything to you, right? There's a contract there. Uh, Tony uh, kind of mixes up his worlds a little bit too much, but I think that is that is part of what this world is. Correct. The mob is all of that. 
you know, right. and it's, it is very hard to lead when you have so many people close to you in, you know, key integral spots. Because there is an innate mix in this right. world. But it's, it's so hard to separate that. Another thing that makes the leadership question, I think, very dangerous, I didn't honestly appreciate this aspect until we did this season, and I watched All Due Respect, the final episode, this time around when we recorded for it, there's a scene I was very proud of Stevie Van Zant doing the scene in the back of the Bing with mm-hmm. James Gandolfini where Silvio says, I gotta talk to you. And he lays it down. It's a great He's, scene. He says to Tony, like, he, he tells him, you got a problem with authority. I've known you for a long time, all this stuff. And that's when Tony lays out the question of, indeed, his loneliness and dealing with it. And I had not appreciated this before, but when Tony says to Silvio, those of you who are not with me, that makes me sad and it'll be dealt with in time. That might be a veiled threat, but it's a threat. And Silvio does not get angry. He doesn't back off either. He pauses and he says, I'm sorry you feel that way. The road that we're going down is this is going to get worse. And Silvio and these guys love you. They will kill you Hmm. if the incentives are right. Mm -hmm. Um, Tony makes that decision for a number of reasons, and he does it because he has to. Right. I don't think there's any other way to go. Right. Well, and what's interesting is, I, again, I'm speaking about people who are murdering people, but I found his <laughs> solution, maybe not for New York, but I found his solution quite good, which is don't let them... Yeah, he's got to go, but don't let them do what they were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, there was nothing really New York could do about it. Right. Because they ultimately got what they wanted. It's just, you know, Leotard's it would be, have a hissy fit. It would be sentimentality on their part if they continued to, yeah. Correct. So that if, if only he could have made that decision a little sooner. But it, ultimately his decision was quite... It was a good decision. It good. Was, uh, now he And the reason why it's good politically is because he can spin it. He says in his speech before he ends up doing what he does that he's offering Tony B the same protection I would offer any of you. So he gets to at least, even though most of the guys smelled the bullshit a mile away, <laughs> he's able to at least present this idea that, hey, I'm, I'm looking out for our people, and even in this fucked up day and age, being a family means something. It's also very much preventing a mutiny, to get more to Paul's point. It's like, you think Larry Boy Barisi would think twice about sticking a knife in Tony's back if it could get him in good with New York, or yeah. shave a year off his sentence, or whatever the fuck is going on there, you know? So it it's a viper's pit, but Tony is the alpha viper. He's the uh, he's the king of the mountain. And even in all this, with the hard decision that he makes, don't you guys think that in Tony's dreams he will see that face of Tony Blundetto, just the stare, just the eyes? I see you. Mm-hmm. That the the death the death mask. Yeah. Just the just those eyes. Amen. Speaking of eyes, I. Think we should go to our first top three. Top, top three. three. Top three. Top three. Top three music moments. Top three music moments. I didn't get it together. Okay. Everybody. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. All you right. Can tell us which ones you like from ours. I will. Nice competition so, now, boys. I know we always say this, and sometimes it sometimes it's it, my favorite. Sometimes it <laughs> devolves. Sometimes it uh, disintegrates a little bit here, but. I think the idea we want to do is present our top three, and then the full three. 
No, no, no. Present. We'll do three, 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 two, two, two. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, and not explain it, and then go back and see if there are any crossovers and All right. do that. But so the list, no explanations. Yeah, list, no explanations. Then we'll get into discussion. Uh, I'll start. I'll start this one. I have two honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, most subjects, I don't have honorable mentions. Uh, I, my, my thought going into honorable mentions was either don't put them in all of your topics, or if you're going to put them in every topic, only one. So, <laughs> but I decided I'm going to so do... you broke both rules. No, no, no. I don't have them in every... Oh, no, no, no. I'm <laughs> saying I'm, I have fewer <laughs> subjects that have honorable mentions, oh, okay, right. but the ones I do might be more than one. Okay. I do have two honorable mentions. My first honorable mention... Is happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Top music, top mu- music moment. I don't know. I would say I enjoyed it, <laughs> but it did what it, it it did what it needed to do, and it was certainly unforgettable. Cringe. Uh, my other runner-up music moment is "Love Grows Where My Rosemary Goes," <laughs> which was an inciting, uh, escalating. Well, a, certainly an escalating incident that I've never forgotten. Where the uh, New York gangsters chase Lorraine Caluso yep. around her house naked and execute her, Joey Peeps and the Leotardo Boys. Uh, that song is playing in the background. I've never forgotten that that music imagery combination. But my number three from in the episode in Camelot, Rock the Casbah. My number three, The Clash, Rock the Casbah in Camelot. <laughs> All right. Quick honorable mentions. One, uh, in Camelot, Rock the Caspar, <laughs> Tony chases Phil. Uh, two, a number of moments, Tony B's ringtone mm. is We Are the Champions yep. by Queen. Mm. Just love that. I love Very the good. way it comes up. Um, third honorable mention is all three uses of Glad Tidings. Mm-hmm. In all due respect, Van Morrison track, wonderful. And uh, music cue number three is uh, Leaving California by Sean Smith mm. in uh, Long Term Parking. Yep. We talked about this, Chris, uh, the transition from the sequence that it seems like it's playing in Adriana's car, then it um, turns out to be a vision, and yep. it, it really is playing in Silvio's car. Correct. All right. My number two, from Test Dream, Three Times a Lady. My number two, The Kinks, I'm Not Like Anybody Else. Mm. That's from Cole Cuts. Yes. Number two, uh, in Camelot, uh, if I can get away with this, it's a dual cue. The ending of the episode uh, is a track playing in the club called Session by Linkin Park, and it transitions into Mm -hmm. Melancholy Serenade by the Jackie Gleason Orchestra. Yep. Yep. My number one, from all due respect, Glad Tidings. My number one, from all due respect, Glad Tidings. The Van Morrison track specifically over the credits. Yep. Your once... Twice, <laughs> three times a lady. Very good. Um, both uses of it in the dream sequence in Test Dream and at the end when uh, Tony talks to Carmella. Great. I guess that would have been an honorable mention for me too. I definitely was considering that one. Absolutely. Another general honorable mention that didn't make any of our lists, but I just want to throw it out there. If I were a carpenter at the end of uh, <laughs> uh, uh, If I were a carpenter. <laughs> you were a douchebag. You were a douchebag. So some different choices, but some overlap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we had Rock the Casbah as one of your honorable mentions, Paul. And yep. Jordan and I shared that as number three. So let's Correct. talk about that one. Yeah. Well, you know what? You, you, you led with it. Do you want to take us through why? What is the context by which this one appears? Uh, Tony is in a car chase. He's, <laughs> Phil Leotardo owes him money for the racetrack sale. For, that's going to go to uh, to the uh, Father's Gumar, 
and he's chasing Phil through Brooklyn streets <laughs> while Phil is listening to Rock the Casbah. And uh, it's a hilarious scene. It's a fun scene. It stands out. Phil in, throwing the fucking ice cream. The ice, yeah. When, when he realizes it's the best, it's best like, moment in that sequence. Correct. Yeah, he's like, oh, fuck. All right. I gotta start, <laughs> I gotta start driving seriously. <laughs> hey, Tony, I gotta go meet John. I'll see you. That's <laughs> so good. I wonder if... You cocksucker. The fact that they're using Rock the Casbah is it's a little nudge towards that they call him the Shavaran, right? Oh, that's yeah, of course. Be, that's part of it. Of course. Of, Come on. of course. Yeah. In that same episode, I yeah. think. Come on. Yeah. That's great. Very funny. It's a great moment. Great, great song choice. It adds what does a lot Tony say over his body? Everybody stand back. The police have been called. <laughs> hey, Mr. Yeah. You okay Mr. in there? Mr. You okay in there? <laughs> <laughs> great moment. All right. There was uh, several Glad Tidings. Was Glad Tidings your number three, Paul? I think it was an honorable mention. Honorable and mention. And it's our number one, Chris. It's our number one. And uh, we, uh, we had three wanna... times. Yeah. I think I had the only one that was not on anybody Yeah, else, talk right? about that one. What was so I, I did the Kinks. I'm not like anybody else. This is the song that plays. You know, this is in cold cuts. Janice has been going to anger management mm-hmm. to the shock of all. Yeah, it's actually going well for her, and she seems to be in a serene, authentically better place by the end of cold cuts. She's having one of the family dinners that she's been trying to do all season. Even those are going a little bit better. She's speaking like an actual person to the members of her immediate family, and Tony does not like that. Okay, yeah. he knows that deep down she's just as much full of hate and venom as he is, and he doesn't want to see her get better. So he brings up the one issue that he knows is the hottest button issue for her, the thing that's always going to drag her back down to the depths, her relationship, or lack thereof, with her estranged son, Harpo. Uh, starts pushing all the nastiest fucking buttons he can find in that dinner scene until she just she just screams and cries in tears. And his reaction is to walk out in rather a jaunty, jolly fashion, leaves the table and walks outside, and struts down the sidewalk in the only episode closer I can think of that doesn't fade to black. It Mm. just has him walking down the streets as the credits roll, strutting to the kinks, I'm not like anybody else. Totally proud in his hatefulness. Mm. Uh, Uniquely, just a singularly cool, fucked up moment. Really, the music just struck me there. Yeah. Yeah, great. That was definitely one I was considering when I was making my big list that I whittled down to my three. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Glad Tidings, Jordan, because it's on both our lists. And sure. then I want to give now, was your, yours was specifically the one over the credits as well? Uh, it was the use of it, the through, use the, it in general. Th- through the episode. Okay, sure, yeah. I mean, look, it's how on the nose is it to have we send you Glad Tidings <laughs> from New York yeah. right before Tony blows Tony B's face off. Catchy <laughs> tune. Catchy tune, great use. I like that they used it to kind of bookmark different points in the episode. So I thought sure. it was not only a great song, it fit what was happening. It jarred during that Tony B scene. The lyrics work, and I just uh, the use of the song was particularly good. The way it was used to the episode is why it's my... I, I agree. I actually like when it comes over the credits because as much as all due respect is an episode that's a little fraught, um, when you get to the end of it, Tony's kind of okay... Johnny Sack is kind of not, and you're kind of leaving in, it's kind of a good place. There's a little bit of a bounce. There's a little bit of jocularity there that's appropriate, and that song does convey that. Yeah. The glad tidings, some of the glad tidings are bad news for New York, but great for them. Yeah. Yeah. New York can't keep prosecuting the war against them even if they wanted to. Right. Right. Tony's back at home. He's firmly in power. Glad tidings. Yeah. What, what else did we have? Ooh, and then Paul, later, right? I had three times the lead as my number two. You added your number one, Paul. You take the lead on this. Uh, well, I love um, 
after we do this top three, by the way, I usually not like to take a nice tinkle. <laughs> <laughs> so Vin McKazian is the setup. Um, there's a few different women in that episode. Valentina setting herself on fire. Um, <laughs> the woman with uh, the... Consuela has the, the enchiladas. enchiladas. Yep. Um, okay. <laughs> but the third woman that Tony calls after the dream, the third and last, is the important one, Carmela. And that ends up playing over the credits. And I think that I think it's um it's a great song. It's a great choice to make it quirky at first and then in the credits I think you reflect on it a bit more seriously. The way the story is told in that episode, again, whether you have a degree in psychology or you go to the nail salon, I think the audience is getting the picture that Tony needs to go home. Hmm. Or that he, or he's starting to see that he ought to go home. And I just love that the way that it's all done with Tony on the phone. Is it light where you are yet? Um, and the way this song brings it all together. It's another way also of me um, noting that moment because I think that's a great moment. Um, it didn't make it into like my moment moment top three. Right. Yeah. But using the song and the way that they used it um, was very effective. So that's why I chose it. Yeah. Totally. Great choice. And they let John Hurd sing the entire fucking thing. They really went for that. Yeah. <laughs> they did not go halfway like, oh, you're going to get a chorus and somebody cuts them off. No. Yeah. No, he's going to sing multiple choruses and multiple verses <laughs> awkwardly while Tony realizes he's having dinner with Annette Benning. Yep. <laughs> also, I said this when we actually covered that episode, but uh, I just really missed John Hurd, and it's just, I miss him in real life, Yeah. and it was just nice to see him. Yeah, so. I, I fully agreed. Lily, which was your favorite of these music cues? Oh, the favorite list, or no, the favorite music Just the favorite cue? one. Oh, okay. You get to choose the winner. I think three times a lady. Oh, Paul, you got it. Good job. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Your explanation really sold it. Good job, Paul. Well done. All right. So, let's talk a little bit about one of the uh, big devices that carried us through the season. Uh, and Shitting. Shitting. <laughs> a lot of poop. Lot of that poop. actually is, uh, no, no joke, a, a recurring thing. It is. It is, weirdly. Uh, <laughs> but I was referring to uh, the class of 04. Oh. Sort of a big driving factor. Old rats on a new ship, as Junior uh, uh, described them. Hmm. The season starts with a news report that the Class of 04, or the big mafia crackdowns of the 80s, locked a bunch of these guys up. To quote Paulie, apparently he wasn't rehabilitated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're out. You got two Jersey guys, two New York guys. This is something that a lot of TV shows do as they get in later seasons. You introduce new characters, and this is a great way to do it in a show about the mob. You just got... Oh, I've been in prison for 20 years. Great. He can just show up. Uh, you got, in the Jersey side, you got Feach Lamana and Tony B. You got Angelo Gareppe and Phil Leotardo on the New York side. I do want to have a longer, more in-depth conversation about Tony B. We can maybe sort of bleed into that. So let's talk about Class of 04 generally and what some of the uh, smaller characters in the Class of 04 brought to this season. And then let's bleed that into a convo about Tony B. So broadly, I think the worry when you introduce a whole flush of new characters into a show is, will this dilute what makes this show good and special? Mm. Will this whole season just be about the new characters? You could really fuck up your show when you do something like this. And a lot of shows have done this to their peril. The Sopranos, as as Paul said in the beginning of our episode, uh, they, they somehow managed to do this, integrate these characters without losing anything in their world. In fact, it only makes their world somehow richer 
Um, I think all four, four characters bring something different. Obviously, they're, they're four wildly different characters. Yes. And for three of them, they're entirely dealt with within the scope of this season. So you can tell these characters were not brought in to like inject uh, more characters. It was just to serve the story of this particular season. Only Phil will carry forward, obviously, in a big way. Well, and it makes sense, too. You think about if I told you just now from the real world that uh, a big wash of mob guys just came out of the uh, uh, came out of the pen, and within a year, fifty percent of them are dead, twenty five percent of them are back in jail. Yeah, <laughs> that would be believable. You yeah, know, it's that's, <laughs> that suits the statistics, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think symbolically they seem to stand for something. Um, maybe not anything in maybe a literary sense. I just think where they end up and how they end up there is, is very very interesting to me, right? You have two more quiet, thoughtful characters, one on each side, Blondetto and Gareppi, right? Who both meet very violent ends, mm-hmm. violent, upsetting ends, right? And then you have the two more violent, bombastic characters who both survive, mm-hmm. right? They both live, and you know, one goes away quietly, and one carries on, because he's going to go forward into other seasons. I think that is interesting. Um, mm. I think you also have another interesting aspect where you have, um, two characters who are thinkers. Okay, again, Blondetto Gareppi, right? And you have two characters who are button men, action guys, right? Yeah. Big, loud guys. Uh, they go on, you know? <laughs> One suffers a fate arguably worse than death. Being sent back to prison is fucking horrible. As right? much of a pain in the ass as Feach was, that bus ride back it's a felt horrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Um... But it is interesting, and I think they do something really interesting with all four of them. I think so, too. Yeah, it's a credit to the writing. It's a credit to the acting. Um, Robert Loge is super fun. Uh, the name of the actor who plays Angelo Gareppe escapes me. But he's pl- like he's a character actor. He's done a gangster in a bunch of stuff. Usually playing much more, I think, the expected gangster role, the button yeah. man. Yeah. So to see him draw back is great. Seeing Steve Buscemi draw back is great. I'm used to... When this show happened, I was used to seeing Buscemi and Coen Brothers stuff. Right. Very big. And occasionally Sandler films. <laughs> also, right, also very yeah. big. Hey, who are your friends? I don't <laughs> like them. Um, you know, that kind of vibe. So I loved seeing that. I think the other thing that the Class of 04 question brought up for me was the ways in which this season is about the past. Even more evocatively than other seasons. Sometimes quite literally bringing stuff up from the past, like the guilt related to Tony B., and, of course, the fact that Feech still thinks it's the 70s. Mm-hmm. So does Phil. Right. Um, they make terrible mistakes in the way they talk to Tony, our Tony, um, because of that. And I think that's something David Chase has always been interested in. Look, I send you a memo every time I move my bowels, too! Impeccable. Oh. <laughs> um, so, and it makes for great drama. And as Jordan mentioned, some of the things that aren't expected that happen. Why are the two guys who are quieter get it? When we're used to characters who bring the danger up a notch, mm. often get met with that violent end on The Sopranos. Here it shifts a little bit. Um, so again, the show can still surprise. And it can even surprise when we're working within a certain trope. Yeah, um, It's impressive. It's well done. I love that Tony learned his lesson from Richie April and saw the feature thing coming. He nipped that right in the ass. That's a nice resolution. It's good growth for Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that one was good. It also, the class of 04 does a nice job of challenging Tony as leader mm. because you've got the cognitive dissonance of I am a younger leader. These guys knew me as a child 
and their back and where does elder fit with my role as boss yeah you know because there is a lot of that even within the mob even though tony's still the boss right but he deals with that throughout you know and i think again it is exactly what he dealt with with richie as well and so it does pose an interesting challenge to tony you know what else is tough i just thought of this while we were having this conversation the two guys, in addition to being gentler, quieter, thinker guys that got killed, are also the only two guys that kind of wanted out when they right. got out of prison. Yeah. Angelo wanted to play with Park with his grandson. Yeah. Tony B wanted to be a masseuse, and there's a whole episode devoted to how hard it was for him to actually break out of Tony's orbit when push came to shove. But uh, that's 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 rough, too. The fact that the two guys most eager to get back to brazen criminality are the ones who lived. <laughs> yeah. Well, because if you're going to live that life, you have to commit 100%. And so if you have that in the back of your head of, should I do this? I've got these twins. I've got the second chance. I've got my grandson. You're not going to go in 100%. Yep. Steve Buscemi's character in a sister show to this one is told you can't be half a gangster if Mm -hmm. only Tony B were told that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Phil Leotardo and... um... Uh, feature also they're very similar characters to our Polly Walnuts right mm-hmm. who will uh, repeatedly come forward with a philosophy that you know he you, know, you, you can't bring a woman into this life you uh, you know or is that who says that is that that is Polly right that's, oh that's Junior, junior. Well, another well, one Polly's also okay. t- just but, no, but, not to get but Polly same thing right same they idea uh, the our thing and marriage don't mix that's it that's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. the idea that this is your career this is your life this is your everything right Filiatardo is clearly about that, okay, and so is uh, Feach, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, something there too. Tony B, let's talk about him. He's an interesting cat. This, uh, if I had to, if we had to pin pin him into a formula for the show, he's the guy that comes in at the beginning of the season, causes Tony trouble, a la Richie, a la Ralphie, sort of. In that vein, he's he's a troublemaker for Tony and someone who complicates Tony's life. And ultimately ends up on a slab at the end, uh, but they do uh, they do a good job. How do we feel Steve Buscemi did with this performance, and how do we feel that uh, the character of Tony B contributed to the the world of The Sopranos? I thought he was, I may not have understood him as much when I first watched the season. I, I I may have, I was just so excited it was Steve Buscemi. But you know back then I was like, oh Steve Buscemi, like the homeless guy from Big Daddy and the. Fucking, <laughs> You know, just the quirky character actor who just pops up in all of this stuff. You owe me a sausage with muffin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop yelling at me! Right. Uh, but... <laughs> you don't like spaghetti and meatballs, so you can get, get the, the heck out. <laughs> this is going to be the next two hours, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Big Daddy goes, not my fault, your father was sick. <laughs> all right, anyway, getting back on track. Uh, I was so excited with Steve Buscemi. I maybe missed like some of the some of the subtleties here, but he does some really fantastic work that I I certainly caught this time and many other times around. And the fact that he has this joviality, but at the same time, and an intelligence, very intelligent character, which is perhaps closer to Ralphie, but there's a lot of differences too. Great character, very uh, dark when he needed to be. The there was a darkness underneath there yeah. that was impenetrable. I think the first conversation we need to have is why Steve Buscemi is a great actor, right? What makes him appealing for any project? Um, obviously, this is like a rising star character actor from the 90s who finally lands in our show. Uh, he has a very unusual appearance, right? Yeah. He's kind of a 
wiry, thin guy. He's got an unusual face. He has kind of messed up teeth, right? Um, and he has this um, sort of a weird energy about him, just sort of in general. He brings something really interesting to whatever you're doing with whatever character. He's great at comedy. He's amazing at drama, but he's almost always cast as like a supporting comic character, mm. sometimes in a dramatic thing. But the contrast is he has these soulful eyes that are mm -hmm. incredibly intelligent and in our show very sad yeah um and i think that is part of the allure so how do we apply these things to tony b he's almost like a caricature of a gangster and he's almost tony s's complete opposite right tony s big broad bold guy right mm, tony b little wiry mm, right yeah uh something weaselly about him right but again, those big eyes that see everything. And the Buscemi acted performance is a character that hears more than what is said. Mm. Right? Uh, very smart. Um, and it's, it's, it's unbelievable casting. It might be among my favorite casting on this show, period. Uh, but he brings to the show another character whose emotional intelligence either equals or surpasses that of Tony which means he's luring our eye in every scene that he's in. So when we lose him, it's not just a blow because we love Tony B as a character, but we lose someone who, for us, was like another audience surrogate who could see that things were so horrible that he had to do something about it, right? Um, that That's really a loss. To your point, and I'll, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to say this quick. He's one of the few characters, char like, side characters in the show or secondary characters, and I wouldn't say this about Paulie or Eve Silvio, who I actually feel like you could get a season or two out of just, like, if, it, if he were the star of the show. Correct. And that's how we got the sister show. Right. Yeah. You know what you're saying about Tony being the exact opposite, and in the, you know, one of the first episodes he's there, Tony B, Tony 2, right? Right. But he, it, it's funny, if you think of it in the family order and how families work, Tony is older than Tony B, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think or, they're similar. Or comparable age, but, yeah, age comparable. but so they're in the same age cohort, right? So if you've got this Tony, big Tony, Tony Soprano, who is big and decent at sports, if not a varsity athlete. No, very yeah. sensitive. Oh, topic here. you know the child that comes after, whether by age or by status, stature, has to make up for it in other ways. He's funnier than Tony Soprano. Yes. He's smarter than Tony Very good, Soprano. Lily. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. He's in some ways savvier than Tony Soprano, but not in the street smarts way. Because yes. Tony has that in spades. He's not going to be physically demanding, but he's good in the more gentler ways, massage and, and mm -hmm. he has this calming voice to Lily, him despite being wiry. And so it's almost like a you know the deranged conjoined twin or something. You, I take that out. That's stupid. Um, no, that's but, that's good. I understand but, that. Um, and so it, it's it, the Tony B aspect that you know Paul started you know started that ball rolling really ends up making sense. Absolutely. Listen, I work a camp job in the summer. Outside my studio, there's two trees. One is a huge tall oak tree that shot right up to the sun. The other is this little weird tree. That because the other tree is so fucking big, it grew sideways around my studio to find its spot in the sun. And it looks like a sickly weird thing, but it's bendy. The kids like to climb on it. This sounds like I'm making this up for the purpose of discussing this on the show, but that's exactly I what it is. I believe you. That's because that's Tony what happens. Tony took up all the food, all the energy, all the light, all the money, 
And now Tony B has to, like, find something. It's He's got to curl around it. It's based survival of the yeah. fittest. Yeah. Tony B, um, as played by Buscemi, I agree with you guys. It's a wonderful performance. It's not expected the way that they cast it for me, but yeah. it's a wonderful surprise. When we're recording this, uh, Nolan's movie on Oppenheimer just came out, and uh, Killian Murphy, that performance is all the eyes. Um, yeah. As Oppenheimer historically had these enigmatic, sad eyes. And that's a big part of it. It's a big part of how beautifully understated the performance is. Um, it is another interesting problem character, I guess you'd call him, if not an antagonist, like you said, Chris. Um, unlike the other ones, Uncle Junior, uh, Ralph Cifaretto, uh, Richie Aprile, instead of those characters reflecting back to Tony his own aggression and bringing it out... This character reflects to Tony the reasons and the baselines for his anger and aggression and does not reflect it back. And it's infuriating hmm. to our Tony and confusing and upsetting. Yeah. The more he gets angry, the more Tony B sits there like a statue with the me. eyes. You're crowding me. Um, <laughs> it's very interesting to watch and fun and funny at times. And it's something... I don't know what any of this means, honestly. Um, because the show never says it outright. But um, I did somewhere during the pandemic read uh, a great short story by Edgar Allan Poe called William Wilson, mm. um, which is famously the guy coming to see this doppelganger <laughs> and figuring out that the only way he's going to work out this aggression is by destroying him. And so in this rewatch of this season, that was the image in all of its beauty and horror that I took from it, that something... I'm sorry to say, seems to make our Tony whole with the killing of Tony B, with the killing of these aspects that you guys are talking about even, be it the gentleness or um, the runt who came up and did create something. Um, Tony needs to put all that aside to keep his leadership, to keep himself focused. I thought of that killing sort of a, almost like as the killing at the end of Apocalypse Now, Mm. When Martin Sheen, by killing Brando's character, becomes the statue. He becomes the cold killer. Um, well, spoilers for Apocalypse. Now. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, so the way that it all came together was powerful and um, devastating. Yeah. Uh, and Buscemi, I thought, did a great uh, did a great job with it. And I also thought of the Boardwalk Empire quote, interestingly, with respect to our hero in this show having to make that decision, having to stand with it. Um, again, more is lost by indecision than wrong decision, but you have to do it because you can't be half a gangster. Yeah. As in your William Wilson analogy, right? Taking it back to the show, what's funny is, as in that story as to now, Tony S. is the evil twin, mm. not the doppelganger. Yeah, that's interesting. That's funny. He had a lot of great moments. The laughs, the jokes, the wisecracks. We were talking over our dinner before we recorded about all the fun stuff he says in the back of Satrials. <laughs> you're going to put on a second coat before you let that... You're going to let that drive before you put on a second coat. Oh, Grandpa Munster over here. Yeah, yeah. That stuff. But also, two of his saddest moments to me. One is that line he gives in... Um, I believe it's Sentimental Education about how being an ex-con is... Not all that different from being an immigrant. The fact yep. that he has the 
intelligence and awareness to make a connection like that about himself and his lot in life when a lot of I don't think anyone else in the class of 04 could be that self-reflective of himself and society at large and the way he talks about the penal system with metal these flashes of wow there's really something to this guy and then the, of course the big one for me was when he uh, you get that push shot of him when his kids his twins his twin boys say that they don't want to go back to his house anymore and how, how the jealousy about how well Tony's done kind of builds up in him and they zoom in on his big sad eyes and you can see something in him just switch that he's he's had it. Yeah. And then he goes and kills Joey Peeps. Okay. Yeah. It's great shit. Well, he's the one of the class of 04 that actually rehabilitated. It's just Tony's orbit mm. got him, right? It's similar to what Janice goes through in Cold Cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he is looking from the outside at much of Tony's world and it's the Faustian bargain, it's the 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 devil coming knocking and he's attracted to it and from our Tony, Tony S's perspective looking at this guy particularly in the space that Tony S is in separated from Carmela, he's saying I could go this way. Yeah. It's also very sad because uh, you know, Tony B who's Evidently, obviously, a very intelligent character, capable of doing many things. He happens to be uniquely talented at all the things that make a good gangster, right? He's a cold killer. He can kill without remorse. He's calculating. He has a good head on his shoulders. He understands relationships. He's very funny when he needs to be. He knows how to use diplomacy. He's very charismatic. Um, he has all of that stuff, you know? When he's tasting their lifestyle, living a little bit of it, right, he's... He's good at living their life, right? And it just you you really hate to watch him struggle. You're almost relieved when he comes over to the gangster side, but you know it's doomed. Yeah. Right? It's it's sad to watch and it's in slow motion. Well said. Any other thoughts on Tony B? I'll just I'll miss his presence on Big the time. show just because it was as I said, it's it's hard to lose such an emotionally intelligent character, right? There's only so many Tonys and Melfies and Carmelas that have that capacity for feeling. He was another one, and he was here and gone. Well said. Well, you know, Tony B was a very sad character, and you know what I do when I'm sad? I eat. And that's why I belong to BlueApron.com. <laughs> if you go on to Blue Apron, you can get a box of fresh food delivered to your door once a week, up to three to four meals per week. I'm just kidding. We don't have fucking sponsors. It's time for top three food moments. <laughs> top three. I wish we had sponsorship. Sponsor us. <laughs> top three food moments. I started last time. Who wants to start this one? I'll start. Jordan. I, I am not good at uh, holding in my honorable mentions but, me. but because i'm very they're very small i'm just going to do them before my number three sure they're very small i, I, I have one honorable mention honorable mention the toblerone bar in the <laughs> test stream just because chris is fucking obsessed with sweets and just like it's such a funny moment because he's delivering like the worst news tony has ever heard it's also like you can eat that i forget which one of you pointed it out but he leaves the fucking tea he leaves the tea he For leaves tea. the tea that's great. Uh, another honorable mention, Carmine's egg salad sandwich that he does choke and die on. <laughs> of course, that's not the choking that kills him in the two Tonys. Um, and then another honorable mention. I swear to God, it's the last one. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Tony is eating, I believe, AJ's corn pops in Sentinel's <laughs> Education. I forgot about this one. And then when AJ pours him some, I don't know, pours himself some cornflakes or something, he goes, bleh. Tony grabs the ball from him, dumps it out of the sink. 
Then I have nothing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's great. But my actual number three is Meadows Chili, uh. an unidentified black males, which she cooks and forces Finn to eat on the hottest night of the year. <laughs> That's my number three. All right. Um, a few honorable mentions. One, canned clam chowder <laughs> from Two Tonys. Robert Eiler's a fucking on fire this season. Yeah. <laughs> Next honorable mention uh, from the Rat Pack, Junior Salad. That's where all the neighborhood dogs go to piss. <laughs> um, last honorable mention from Where's Johnny. Nobody want them Turkish taffies? Uh, oh, another honorable mention. Valentina sets herself on fire, yeah, making Tony a fucking snack. And the test stream... And I'm showing Jordan the evidence. Number three, Meadow makes Meadow makes chili. chili. Forgot the number wow. same number three. Hey, very nice. <laughs> My number three is Tony with sausage around his neck. Oh! Oh! Yep. I have one honorable mention, just because I like the scene around it, and it qualifies because there's food in it. Carmela is peeling a cucumber. Daydreaming about her her <laughs> her dream her her dream dates with uh, Wegler mm. and Tony comes in and interrupts this and they have this hilarious back and forth about whether or not he's gay while she's been off fucking him it's great and they just go back and forth and he leaves his underpants in the kitchen and she gets mad about it great pants <laughs> uh, my number three food moment from two Tonys dinner in Atlantic City oh yeah that, that's yeah. <laughs> And all the quotes around it, but I guess we'll go into that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So that is that's actually my number one, as it turns out. Okay. Yeah, that you're talking about Paulie's big meal and the two yeah, Tonys, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So that's my yeah. But my number two. This is fucking weird. Mmm. And the champagne toast ushering in Tony's welcome home. And uh, if I can double the moment here, I'm gonna get a little cheat. Also, Tony's welcome home Sunday. Same episode, yeah. basically mm. the following scene, yeah. uh, in all due respect, where it's just like, oh, fucking champagne toast, he's home, and, and there's the Sunday. We're back to it. Yeah. Sorry, can we stop? I, I have to call the police. Jordan went too far. Two scenes, one food I'm item. Sorry. This is unacceptable. <laughs> sorry. The police will be here soon. <laughs> the, 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 food, the food moment police. Um, <laughs> same episode, long-term parking, uh, lunch at Vesuvio, Tony and Carmela's negotiation. Mm-hmm. My number two is Janice's food. <laughs> In general. Yeah. Sunday dinner specifically. Yeah. My number two food moment is from the episode Cold Cuts. It's the Sunday dinner uh, that Harpo comes up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, my number one was previously mentioned by Chris. It's it's specifically the big meal sort of revenge that Polly gets on Chris. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah. My number one is sausage twirling from Marco Polo. <laughs> My number one is, want me to make you some eggs? Valentina or Adriana. Mm-hmm. Mm. Eggs. My number one is between the sausage twirling and, do you have any appetizers without tomatoes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the entire backyard barbecue in Marco Polo sure. is just an event I want to attend and gorge myself on. Uh, that whole party is a food moment, and yep. I love it. Before we dive into the specifics, I want to say something about food. Yeah. yeah. In general, this season, it sucks. Mm-hmm. I think it's deliberate. I there's there is not one meal that does not go completely haywire either because the food is bad or it's off or even if it is technically good, it's so ill advised. Why did you make this chili tonight? Yeah. Or people are haggling over. You're gonna pay. No, you're gonna pay. No, I'm gonna pay. And when you have your own family, you can pay. 
every meal, every food thing, it's off Very good in point. some way. Or the food is nondescript or unimportant. I'm sure they had a great meal at Old Olmstead Steakhouse, if it was anything like it was when I went there 10 years ago. But you don't see the food. I th and the only guess that I have is that it's a direct result of the displacement from the home. That mm. Tony isn't having Carmela's cooking anymore. That's and fucking it, bang on. Yep. It also reflects the dysfunction that so many of these family arguments are happening. 100%, Paul. Awesome. I do want to say, we've mentioned it already, but another one that didn't come up in this top three, I, I actually it was one of those I left off my list because I'm like, maybe someone will mention it. But it's fucking bullshit. It's changing the list. I'm not changing my list. I'm not changing Police my list. Police are already coming. You're all... <laughs> you're, you're we're all, all fucked. You're all but Paul, because you're too smart. Enchiladas deserves a mention. Okay. So good, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Especially him bringing it to Tony V. Okay. There's another example of blacklist of like food no one wants. Or yeah, exactly. Not the creamy no woman is an opportunist. She brings the enchiladas. <laughs> Lily brought this up in our coverage of it, but the very first family dinner that Janice tries to have, and AJ and Tony shows up, and her line to them is, Oh, your mother didn't send you anything? Right. Yeah. And Lily brought this up in our episode, like, she wasn't fucking invited. <laughs> yeah. You expected her to cook a meal and send it with her husband she's getting divorced from? <laughs> the rudest. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. But the canned clam chowder, it's never anything that would have been served at Carmela's family dinner. Yeah, and then, of course, the Sunday dinner where Tony storms out of Junior's house and my last Sunday dinner here. You're right, Paul. All of these meals are clusterfucks. Right. And usually these are the scenes of comfort and joy. And even the barbecue, you've got the allergy, you've got... The alley the even, even the fucking dinner before the birthday dinner, Hugh storms out of because Tony's not going to be there when they're yep. eating Chinese food. That's true. Yep. That's fucking Wait, cool. Wait, even irregular around the margins, doesn't somebody throw a sandwich at fucking Vito? There's like a, the a sandwich at Vito, drops the, the pizza. Episode, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Look at all that. Wow. Wow, this is Paul. pretty wild. Paul. I think, what a pull, Paul. I think even the end of Test Stream, remember the problem, like we know what happens with eggs. On yeah. the show, and Valentina sets herself on fire. The woman's an opportunist with the enchiladas. And when Tony calls Carmela, he says, What'd you do last night? Oh, they went to Vesuvio and they had a nice dinner and it was normal. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm. So, wow. something is tribal and should feel good about that. Yeah. You know? Not to mention all the fucking horrible food at Tony's like bachelor pad. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the Burger King bags and the all yeah, that shit. All right, let's go through these Paul moments. Paul Mancini, then. number three. You guys had the same number three, right? Yeah, we both had Meadows unbearably hot chili, chili. on a hundred degree night. God, I told you I was funny. making chili tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that rat trap rattling AC in the background. Finn really does try his best to eat it, but like you could just tell everything's making that poor kid uncomfortable, and she's not helping. He's That's got like a full literally size, rubbing the salt in the wound. Full size magazine. He's weaving on himself <laughs> while he's eating. And also Meadow just not knowing enough of like what to make like on a hot night. You don't make chili. Yeah. Ah, Meadow. That's a night for gazpacho. That's right. Ooh, you know, you know about delish. a nice gazpacho? You I guys do. know about gazpacho? I can't believe you're using this language in front of Lily. Fuck! <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I have more to say on the situation, but it doesn't have to do with the chili, and I know we're going to get to we're it gonna later. We're going to get there. We're so going to talk about suitcases later. <laughs> Another suitcase. Why buy the cow, you know? Okay. All right, the chili. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> what was your number three moment, Will? My number three was sausage, so we should wait. All right, well, yeah, we'll get Paul's there. number one. No, I think that's it. It's uh, both there. No, you had... Uh, yeah, yours was the whole party. Mine was the sausage, sausage tour. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'll get the sausage. My uh, my number three was your number one, Jordan, so let's wait and get to it. What's your number two? 
Mine was the uh, the champagne toast and the sundae, Tony's Welcome Home mm. Feast. Talk and mine that. is the lunch at Vesuvio that precedes it. So okay. yeah. we can all do all those in one. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So one of the nicer meals that we actually get to have is a pleasant dinner at Vesuvio for a change, right? Mm -hmm. This is kind of the road leading back in, and Carmela names her price. Exactly. It's not. I don't. I don't actually even recall what they were eating. No, meaning. I mean, I hope she's ready to order. I don't think they had food. That's a. That's in episode nine. Oh right. When he tells her. Oh, you're talking about the. I'm talking get back together meeting. When she does, she goes back the second time. They are eating the second time. Yeah, and does a way better job at the negotiation. Right. Um, they're much more cordial. It's not. Not everything's back to normal per se, and the peck at the kiss at the end is a little perfunctory. But they're coming back together, and they're both eating with gusto, which I always, I don't know why exactly. It is on the verge of, like, rude, how their lips are smacking. I guess it's maybe because of what they're both hungry for. Tony to get back to normality, to get back in. Carmela to move forward with her life, get back together with Tony, and carve out this portion for herself. That, to me, is the hunger and what Carmela does with the food. Both of them have a lot of movement with the hands, but when Carmela names her price, she gets very interested in the plate in front of her. Oh, uh, 650000 And she's moving the fork around, she's looking at it, and so she does not match the look when Tony looks at her for a second, and he takes that number. So the reason I chose it for that... A food moment is specifically the the way that the food operates and the way Carmela uses it, it seems, in the negotiation. Mm, so. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's an unusual thing for Tony to come home. Obviously, the negotiation Paul just uh, described is, uh, you know, it's successful. Tony comes home. Unusual in that, um, of course, the first night there is going to be unusual. We've been waiting for this to happen all season. It's not unusual that it happens. It's unusual to actually watch the moment being lived in. And through the character AJ, who's been such a little dick this season, right? But actually he's... The, the weirdness is derived from, yeah, Tony's home, but also like, what is this weird feeling I'm experiencing? Oh, there's almost like a kind of a fulfillment, right? Almost like a peace has been restored, right? The bear has been kept from the home, or possibly the bear has been brought inside. I don't know, up for argument. Uh, but yeah, champagne toast, <laughs> unusual, right? But Tony's at home Sunday on the couch watching his war documentary, very usual and very satisfying for the viewer as well. About as satisfying as a big ice cream Sunday would be right now. Mm. My number two is Janice's Sunday dinners. So <laughs> she tries, sort just of. Just in general. Yeah, whole... she tries, and I think it's a good. Again, I know I've said this many times on on this show. It's been fun for me watching her arc this time around and i think this is her her sunday dinners are a big moment in her journey to try to see can i be a normal per or as normal a person as bobby is mm. yeah you know yeah i like that and i also i'm going to piggyback on that for my number two which was the harpo sunday dinner in cold cuts, it's just such a dripping, yep. disgusting display of Tony's pettiness and his vindictiveness. Watching her, and you can see him stewing on it throughout this whole episode that's about rage and about temper, where she has these moments of improvement, however deep or superficial or in progress or not that they may be. This uh, Her talking about there being a great weight lifted off of, of her and then... Him encouraging her to curse out and hang up on the telemarketers, and she doesn't do it. Just hang up. 
no, we're fine. We're about to sit down to supper, you know, that kind of thing. And then sitting there at the table, mm, <laughs> just loving the food. <laughs> Tony just he just he just can't let it go. Can't let he, it go. he can't he can't give her the satisfaction of being happier. It's like Tony talks about this concept in a different way in the Happy Wanderer episode. Yes. He hates seeing a guy with a clear head. He wants to yep. smack him and fucking pummel him and uh, he can't grab Janice and beat her physically, but he can bring her down right to his depth. No, 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 no. Nobody gets out of this family, sister. What's French for I grew up without a mother? <laughs> okay, that's it. And she comes out. me, mama. Yep. <laughs> and he bring. He not only brings her out her temper. He brings out her inner Livia. What does she come after him with, Paul? A, a fork. fork. Correct. Ah, yes. So he immediately evokes the deepest, ugliest part of her, and he knows how to do it, and he loves that he knows how to do it, and that's why, to go to your music moment earlier, Jordan, he can strut out of that house with an extra swagger in his step. What a shithead. Yeah. Wow. Number one? Uh, Well, (laughs) our shared number one, Chris? Mine was number three for me, but it was your number one. Who's my number one? Take the lead on it. Sure. Listen, uh, it is mob etiquette that I guess sometimes is the low man you get stuck with the bill. Chris has had it. This isn't our very first episode this season, by the way. Like the samurais had these pages. <laughs> <laughs> and we know things have never really been easy peasy between Polly and Christopher in general. Right. This just reminds us that, like, oh, that viciousness is just right under the surface. Uh, Polly pays back Christopher in a big way. Uh, they have an altercation in the parking lot afterwards after Chris is probably forced to pay. How much was it? A $1,200 check or whatever it was? 1200 Yeah, it was, yeah. It was $1,184. It comes out with steaks, number. three pound lobsters, the shrimp fucking cocktails you made everybody get, a bottle of Cristal for those skanks, not to mention the Leonese fucking potatoes you didn't even touch. What? I lost my appetite. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, he says to Paulie, this is a great moment, he says, you know, fuck you. Just true hatred. Yeah. And Paulie has basically had it and basically is about to, I don't know, wring his neck or something. And we get a great quote from Chris that almost made best quotes where he was like, go ahead, Paulie, your big fucking moment, right? Oh, it's such a good scene. Yeah. And truly, if that waiter had not stepped out there in that moment, one of those two men would be dead, I think. Oh, 100%. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's the, the waiter. <laughs> and what a darkly comic... Darkly. It's darkly That's pitch comic. black comic. And Paulie's the one to shoot him. Yeah, Don't they have course. medicine they're supposed to take these assholes? <laughs> Such a terrible Yeah, Chris hits him with a brick. Paulie shoots him. Oh, you know, just fun in gangland. You know, just what you do. <laughs> and then he still haggle over Again, the he fucking... T- That's my money, Paul. Paulie grabs the fucking cash. He can't even leave the cash there. So good. But awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, Jordan. You it's articulated. It's a great moment. It is. Great it's a great moment. scene. Great way to kick off the season. And it also... Is a nice fucking glasses. A nice escalation in Chris and Paulie because let's face it, they have an interesting relationship that's adversarial, and I, you know, no spoilers obviously, but at this point, if the relationship between Christopher and Paulie isn't important to the narrative of the show, there's bad writing going on because it always comes back to Chris and Paulie, right? And there's no bad writing going on on this show, so right. that idea is out. It also could nicely set up that this season is one where Chris's frustration with this life will be put to the test big time. Mm-hmm. Because this is a system that we, we said in the first episode, it's like, this is kind of fucking dumb, isn't it? And it's frustrating and there's conflict with other guys, but then it ends up being somebody outside the life who takes 
the hit, mm. in effect, and we move forward. And that's what happens with Adriana. Nice. All right, number number one, Paul. Uh, well, and number one is same was shared with Lily, I believe. No, that's my number three. Oh, three, number three. Number three. Uh, the sausage twirling <laughs> and everything at the party. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's a great moment. It's so dynamic and fun. It brings in Tony. Uh, it's Tony and his connection to his father-in-law, who's played by Tom Aldridge. No, I just love so much. Yep. Um, and it brought out those things in Tom Aldridge, his joy. And um, it's great, particularly the entrance, I think, because Tony is late, and Tony not being reliable, not being present, of course, <laughs> for Carmela is such a big thing. And she, he says, uh, she, you know, Rosalie, she's got no faith in me. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> and then going right from that into Tony going into the backyard and enacting all the things that I'm sure Carmela has to smile about with him mm-hmm. playing host and all that stuff and it leads into the co- conflict with the mother I just think it's wonderfully done and um, for me also pays is like an homage to that episode and how great it is that was all my number one as well I will piggyback on what you said Paul by simply saying if you want to know why this party was one of my favorite moments of the season and made my number one food moments just go back and listen to our episode where we talk about the beautiful dreamlike quality to this episode and there was a sweetness to this episode amidst the darkness and this idea that you're you know this parties that people come people go you multiple courses rounds of food food so abundant that even father phil had to turn some down uh, <laughs> just just great. the ultimate goes on just, father phil. <laughs> just just great great moment i'm i love this episode and i love that party yeah well this is my number three so going last but you know to your point, Paul, this party is when Tony's at his best. And for the whole season up until then, we've really seen Tony maybe not at his worst, but not doing so hot without Carmelo, without stability, all of that. And so to see the to see Tony at his best and the significance it takes to the scene and what it means to Carmela's family. It's just a really impactful moment, and I think it's really sweet and and also quintessential Tony, right? We see him with that sausage a few <laughs> times in this series. And your number one? My number one was want some egg. Want me to make you some eggs? You know, mm-hmm. yes, eggs are all over the Sopranos in general, uh, but the two ladies offering to make their their partners eggs just and they ask in if not exactly the same way, almost the mm-hmm. same way, mm-hmm. right? And um, and how it ends badly for both of them pretty immediately after. Yeah. Um, just, if that's not an impactful food moment, I'm not sure what is. People gotta stop making eggs on this show, that's all I know. I'll tell you, egg beaters and Tabasco would impact me. Mm. <laughs> you know what the trick is? Lead to little fecal urgency. A little sour cream in there. Yeah. Hey. That yep. didn't go well. Let's, uh... Oh, <laughs> You know, a lot of these food moments are centered more around the home. Okay. And I think this warrants a conversation at this point about Carmela's journey this season. Perhaps not as front and center this season as she was in four, but she played an important role. And she went on a hell of a journey this year. Edie Falco always overperforms. So let's talk about Carmela's quest for freedom here. How it went, the bumps along the road, and how she ended up going full circle back to the home and why it's different this time around. 
Well, I guess Carmela fails in her quest for freedom, right? Tony sees that that is the case. Uh, she really does try to escape. Um, it is at first sad to see that that will be the case. And then you kind of get a little thrill out of seeing how she's going to stay, but she's going to get what's hers, right? It's a $650,000 for a, a spec house. Um, interesting. Interesting that that's her price, but not surprising the way in which she goes about it and what exactly she wants, right? Something for herself. Pretty good. Um, I really say this uh, with as much authenticity as I can. I do not know what to make of the romance with Wegler. I do not know if this is just like a, hey, she tried to be with another guy and it didn't work out. Uh, hey, she tried to manipulate another guy and it didn't work out. Did she do that on purpose? Is that just her way? Did she not do that at all and he's just a fucking asshole? I don't know. I'm surprised. No, that's the wrong word. I'm not surprised that that's the kind of guy she would go with. I just wish she would have made a better choice. It's sad to me that like that was the only time she's going to experience another man, potentially, and it was that fucking guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have much, anything much more intelligent to say about that specifically. That that relationship bothers me. I think it's an example, There and there are many of them this season, and we talked a little bit about it in Long-Term Parking, which is, can she really get out, right? Yeah. And so my take on the situation is she legitimately tried to test the waters, if you will. Sure, was there... I don't think she conscious... I don't think she consciously went in there to use him to help AJ. I do think it's an example of... You know, I wouldn't really think twice if one of you asked me to help you out with a discount at my place of work, right? Like, I wouldn't think much of it. If you were Carmela Soprano and you asked me that, like, yeah, maybe I might have another thought of it. So I, I, that's how I take that scenario is it's easy to put that spin on what she's doing because of who she is and who she's married to. Yeah. I agree he wasn't a great choice, but I think this was her giving it a, a, a real go and it, she got it boiled down to you're still a soprano. Hmm. Yeah. Can she really get away? Right. And that's one example of not and still be here. Yeah. Yeah. She learns a lesson in in unfortunately in a way that she has to because look, uh, to your to your question Lily, can she get away? Maybe if she forewent every earthly comfort Every connection with her family and friends and that she's grown up in this part of New Jersey for her entire life, maybe she could get a job working somewhere, minimum wage, pay for a one-bedroom condo on the West Coast somewhere uh, to, to, to get out of this situation. So there is a certain degree of compromise. Could she technically get away with nothing? Maybe. And even then it's a maybe. Right. But that's unreasonable of her to uh, not have any earthly comfort after all she's put up with. And it's not that she's not carrying a certain degree of responsibility in this situation. Tony calls her out on that in a way that is both vindictive and horrible, but also not entirely wrong either. Uh, 
But, you know, listen, here's the thing with Carmela. She learned a lesson in playing the long game. There is genuine love for Tony there, despite all the harm and frustration. There's an attraction and there is a love and an understanding and a comfort there. So I like watching the fact that even though Tony plays dirty and drags her through the shit and poisons her chance at a good lawyer, I do like the fact that she had the brains and the wherewithal and the savvy to say, okay, I'm stuck foreseeably in this situation. Best case scenario... I take Tony back on conditions and he honors the conditions and we live in the same relative comfort that I've had. A life that I know and understand. Worst case scenario, this time, I'm setting up something for me. And that's what the Spec House project is about. And this investment she demands of, of Tony. That's hers. That's her project. That's her business. So this way, if the shit hits the fan again, she she's not out in the cold with nothing. Very smart. Very I, smart. I agree. I guess one more thing I wanted to put is I don't believe that Wegler is recaught pie. I don't think the oh, oh. from season one. Right, right, sure. Yeah. Right. Um, right. That's two, an, I, I don't think it is that obvious <clears throat> and right. that deliberate. Right. She would have never spoken to those people had it not been for getting Meadow into college. Yeah. There are de- there was definitely something there. What and again like. Yeah, you, you, you network with your friends, you network with your family, and, and that's also what relationships are to her. So, I think it's complicated. But I don't, I, I lean more towards she was giving it a go. Mm. I guess the only thing I could add is that it's complicated. Hmm? Like you said, it's uh, both in that <clears throat> it's not all one or the other. Also, I was struck watching the season this time around in terms of Carmela's journey that it's not all one or the other in terms of the gangster world versus the legit world. The gangster world is so cruel. Yeah. We have so much evidence for this. It's overwhelming, of course. But there are examples where just so-and-so is cruel. Wegler, when pushed against the wall, says mean-spirited things to Carmela. Um, the guy, F- uh, Fagoli, is, is a legit cultured Italian, but he's very dismissive even at the point of being a guest in Tony's home. Um, so these... The, the spaces that Carmela might escape to often show themselves in this unpleasant light. So not only does she have to make these deals to go back to Tony, but as you say, carve something out for herself, but I think in a way it might even at times look safe again mm. to go back. There are moments where she specifically... Uh, while, while Tony is certainly floundering more without Carmela in the home front, I would say, there are moments where, I mean, that's what the bear is about, right? One of our listeners wrote in, and we're going to get to listener mail at some point in this retrospective. One of our listeners wrote in that they were blown away by the analysis that the bear is both representative of Tony and of the absence of Tony. It's the danger he represents, and it's also the danger that exists without him there to Tony's. Very cool. So... Uh, yeah, I agree that um, it is a safe. There is a safety and a comfort and a mutual kind of understanding there. It's just it's a rough journey to get there. I also think is this the season Edie Falco was? I think she had cancer one of these yeah. seasons. Is I this believe it? it is this season. Yes. Yeah. So, especially considering that was going on 
I mean, I always applaud Edie Falco, but permanent praise to this queen. She she killed it again. Yeah. I did want to just drop in, um, you know who I think would be someone that would get along with Wegler is Melfi. And it's hmm. just interesting that Tony pursues Melfi in this season and Carmela pursues someone like Wegler who mm-hmm. comes from a high-minded literary world. He understands things that an educated man would understand and that's the kind of person she goes for. Even after lusting after the more elemental Furio all of last season. I just mean to say, I guess well, I would... And Melfi's not like any of the women Tony fucks. 100%. Right. right. So it was not who I thought she would be with, but when they were together, I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense. But then, of course, it no longer made sense. Um, I am still sad for her. Whenever we're oh, too hard course. on Carmela, I want to put out my eyes with a knitting needle. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I agree. She's a great character. Um, yeah, it's complicated. Like Paul said, it's complicated. I think that's the best way to say it, because there is a culpability and there is an understanding there. But, you know, I don't know. She, she, we're led to believe she was with Tony when they were like 16, 17 years old. You know, old habits die hard. And she freely admits that's the only man that she's been with. Right. And it's just been Tony. Can I say one more thing about... Car- it's on the theme surrounding Carmela. It's not about Carmela. Paul, on this show you can say whatever you want. All right. Thank you for allowing me my fucking free range of expression, as they say on Deadwood. <laughs> um, the question of Carmela being culpable. Carmela is culpable. So is everybody else on this show. The more involved you are in the world, ask Finn DiTrolio, the more culpable you become. <laughs> and I think the audience is culpable. Mm. I think we, in a way, must ask ourselves at some point, have we been seduced by a sociopath? And people who don't think so and just think they can judge can walk around like butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. <laughs> but it's not convincing. Everybody... I think who takes something on in this show and identifies with these guys has to wrestle with um, being morally uh, culpable in some way. Mm. That's just my opinion. You heard it here, folks. Well said. Thank you. I loved that. And if you feel a certain... Here's the other thing I don't get. If there's someone out there, you know, we, we do our listener mail. We're going to read some later. So if you have an opinion on this, weigh in if you feel differently. But if you feel some sort of moral superiority <laughs> complex to Tony when you're watching the show and you're just sort of like, you're just able to sit back. And, like, yes, he is awful. But if you don't like Tony on some level, I don't know how you're still watching it in season five. If Tony turns you off 100%, I don't know how you're still watching this television program at this point. I don't know why you're still listening to this retrospective. So help me figure that out if you feel that way. But well said, Paul. A+. plus. Let's pivot topics here real quick. I want to touch down on one more thing before our next top three. Ooh. Uh, I want to talk quickly about Johnny Sack, who had a hell of a season. Boom. The Ascendants of New York it became a big part of the season. The war between Johnny Sack and Little Carmine. Both of whom took a bigger role this season. Uh, just thoughts on Johnny Sack's rise and fall, <laughs> precipitous and fast though it was. Uh, Johnny Sack became a different Johnny Sack this season. I think he never quite got over Tony backing out of the Carmine hit at the end of season four, and he's had an edge to him. And then as the war progressed, he became a little bit more ruthless. Down to I mean the the smug. The Johnny Sack that would pop in once or twice a season in seasons one, two, and three, 
the friendly guy who moved to Jersey is not the smug asshole who stood under the George Washington Bridge talking about how undignified it was to meet that way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Johnny. Johnny Sack was always uh, a like a delight to see on the show because he was, you know, first of all, he was our means of delivery for any news from New York. And it was just an interesting character to have around. And you're like, oh, I like this guy. And then he, he seemed like another, you know, intelligent, reasonable character and someone that was good for Tony to talk to. And then he moves to Jersey and you're like, what's going on with that? And then he seems like he's maybe friends with Ralph Cipretto. And then you're like, well, what's going on with that? And then Johnny marks himself as a character of interest because um, he's easily offended, right? He's easily bothered by things. Of course, first and foremost, and most famously, it becomes about his wife's weight, uh, or remarks about his wife's weight. But it's also just this guy just takes offense just a lot. Um, he has a maybe an overdeveloped sense of his own dignity. Right, uh, and so it's really interesting when suddenly his status as underboss becomes sudden candidacy for control of New York. Right, initially he wants to do that aggressively and whack out Carmine with Tony's help, and then later it becomes, of course, in this season, the contest between him and Little Carmine. Uh, it is kind of sad to see that Tony is not kind of brought along in a friendly way. Right, they ultimately become adversaries before even the Blundetto thing, right? Yeah, Johnny Sack never forgives him for not helping him to whack Carmine. They're not on good terms uh, since all that went down. Uh, the Esplanade, which was supposed to be the dream for everybody of season four, that has kind of completely disintegrated by now, right? Uh, they made whatever money they were going to make on that, and now all that is is gone. Uh, that that cash cow has, has disintegrated either with Cifaretto's murder or the whole you know, thing that's happened between Tony and Johnny. Um, I'm very worried about Johnny as a boss, mm. right? Because even though at the end of this season, Tony B has been resolved and Johnny Sack seems satisfied, he does not seem like he's going to be a good ally for Tony going forward to the extent that I was almost relieved when he gets pinched by the FBI at the end of uh, All Due Respect because I was like, oh, good, one less threat for Tony. Right. I wasn't thinking, oh, no, they took away his friend. Yeah. I was kind of like, oh, good. That's like his biggest obstacle. And that's that so guy funny the fuck because a season or two ago, that would have been a completely different thing. Absolutely. It would have been horrible for Johnny Sack to have been arrested. Right. Now it's almost like, whew. Yeah. Well, you know, fucking the moods and, and whims of Phil Leotardo are the least of uh, Johnny Sack's concerns at this point. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the character has kind of completely transformed from someone that I think brought great joy to Tony's life into the lives of the viewers. Right now, it's just someone who's continually giving an amazing performance. Uh, oh, yeah. This well, actor's, you know, a fucking yeah. unbelievable. But a character who's like, you're just worried every time that these two are going to talk, that something horrible is going to happen. Mm. Something horrible for Tony, but what's interesting about Johnny Sack and your eloquent depiction of his journey from end of season four till now is when it is time for Johnny Sack to step in as the boss, as the leader, he's better at it than Tony is. He has his guys back a hundred percent and he backs up Phil Leotardo in the way that he should. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's dealing with the whims of Phil Leotardo, but unlike the two Tonys, Tony Soprano has to cover for it and and does as much as he can to save him, whereas, you know, Johnny's going to fight for Philia Tardo and Philia Tardo's going to stay loyal. Can I ask, like, a counter question, though? Yeah. How much does Johnny Sack really care about Joey Peeps? 
He doesn't, but he cares about his team. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, the, the alliance with Tony does matter. It does matter. To some extent. At some point, I guess maybe the Peeps thing was just, it was weighing so much on the resentment that had already built up over the non-assassination of Carmine. Yeah. Right? Maybe that's part of it. When, as you said, Johnny, like, I don't know, that berserk button, you offend him on something. Yeah. It seems like he's very offended that Tony lies to him thinking that he'll buy it. Yeah. Yeah. About Joey Peeps. Remember, we were talking about that scene. It's like, Johnny doesn't buy this for a second. Maybe it would have been the better method just to tell him the truth. Well, right, and I think knowing your adversary is important in that way, whether you're allied and adversarial or not. Yeah, yeah. In all this, it it all adds up to everything getting much more dangerous. Yeah. And what I love about that happening is all that's very clear, but we still get a lot of fun. Jo- Johnny Sack can still be a very funny character. Like, as these things are getting more dangerous, and one of the things that Tony does, I think, in... Uh, in the episode Where's Johnny, um, is he floats the idea that triumvirate, yeah. and there's a pause, and I think Johnny Sex says, what's this, the fucking UN now? Yeah. And just like, <laughs> all right, forget it, forget I said it, but I'm on the floor already. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you still get that vibe, even though it's ratcheting up, um, Johnny Sack is seriously dangerous, and yeah, at the end, it's a weird thing. I Again, uh, the, the I guess the, the Southern District of New York Justice Department office does Tony Soprano a huge favor bringing uh, in Johnny Sack. So it's it's a wild journey for him. Um, but I'll have more to say on Johnny Sack in a bit. Me too. That was a great quote you pulled, Paul. You know, I, I like quotes. So why don't we do a top three? Top three. Top three. Thank you. Top three quotes of the season. Boy, this is the hardest one every year. I could have done a top ten Tony B quotes, let alone quotes. But who wants to kick us off? Paul, you want to start this one? Yes. I have too many honorable mentions. Um, one is from Where's Johnny, uh, Philly Atardo. How about this humidity? Um, <laughs> one from, uh, it's from Cold Cuts when Melfi says the Falcon cannot hear the Falcon. And Tony says, what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> also from cold cuts the ups guy saying this is fucking priceless yeah yeah <laughs> uh from sentimental education uh kim says when he heard that he had to hire tony blundetto i say to myself shit god damn it um just his execution of the line shit god damn it um and number three also from where's johnny when sal vitro tells feach to fuck off feach lamana says you think i should fuck off how about i fuck off all over your stupid fucking face <laughs> it's it's pure poetry, The Sopranos. Also, in the poetic way, I can't believe I'm going to say this. You strong armed me using the only weapon you have, your pussy. Michael <laughs> made it. Michael <laughs> made it. Holy shit! My number three is spoken by numerous people, so I will give the name and then the line. Silvio. Adriana got caught giving the big guy a blowjob. This is my number three as well. Bobby. And when the paramedics found her, she still had his cock... She had his his cock still in her mouth. Hesh. Statistics show that most single car fatalities result... A result of guys popping their loads behind the wheel. Junior. Apparently, he came all over the sun visor. (laughs) Gangster telephone is my number three quote. Is that you? That was also my number three. So what I'll do is I'll give my honorable mention. Okay. Right? So I have two honorable mentions. (laughs) Tony B, the human body is 86% water. 
But Louise's last blood test, she was 65% Zeppelin. <laughs> and my other honorable mention, Lorraine Caluzzo. No, please, I'll suck your cock. All your cocks. Suck our cocks. Yeah. She any good? What am I asking you? You probably showed her how. <laughs> so those are honorable mentions for me. You already did the number three. Number two. Number two. There was no abundant intentionality in my getting out the suitcase. <laughs> from Finn in uh, Unidentified Black Males. My number two is long. Um, it is when Adriana is explaining to the FBI about Matouche and why she liked him. <laughs> and the reason I... Lo- oh, we'll talk about it later. It's just long. We don't need to read the whole thing. No, no, you can give your reason because the quotes are largely self-explanatory. So give your reason now. Oh, sure. My reason is that up until Eve, we recorded the podcast for long-term parking... That whole thing went over my head. I never noticed that she's basically describing a terrorist grooming camp. (laughs) And I just, I was, I don't know if anyone noticed when we were recording. I don't think I said anything, but I had no idea that that's what she was saying. Yeah, all the FBI people looking at each other like, uh... Always went over my head. Really just prep school for young boys in Pakistan, huh? Okay. It really struck me this time, and I was really grateful to have come to that realization. And woken up. Uh, my number two quote is also an exchange between two characters. Carmela says to Tony in, um, I believe it's unidentified black males, you want this to get ugly, Tone, because these guys live for that. To which Tony replies, what you think I don't? The only reason you have anything is because of my fucking sweat and you knew every step of the way exactly how it works. But you walk around that fucking mansion in your $500 shoes and your diamond rings and you act like butter wouldn't melt in your mouth. And you don't want it to get ugly? Too late. To which Carmela replies, I want what I'm entitled to. And he replies, you're entitled to shit. Yeah, I mean, that's an ultimate. That's in my moments. Uh, you know, Ron will mention it in a moment. Yeah, it's great. Uh, my number two is very short. It's just in the context of what it is. Uh, two quotes. But I'm not running a fucking popularity contest. Mm. Tony, season five, episode four, all happy families. Of course, that is after Feach has been dealt with. It's taken a bite into probably the world's bitterest Bialy in that moment. Mm. So it could have been a food moment as well. But, um, you know, just Tony making his first big boss decision of the season. Yep. And number one. It's just a line that slays me every time from Cold, cold Cuts. Sacre bleu, where is me mama? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I always struggle with whether to put com- comedy lines, but that's that's great. That's great. All right, my number one is depression is rage turn inward. Ooh, very good. Yeah. Ooh, how'd that big slip theme by quote? Me? That's a great one. My number one from uh, par- long term parking. That's the guy Adriana, my uncle Tony, the guy I'm going to hell for. Because he is. Sure is. My number one's an exchange between two characters. It's in Rat Pack. This is Adriana and Rosalie April. Mm. They're standing outside the house, the Soprano house, discussing why Angie, Bump, and Sarah doesn't get invited to girls' nights anymore. Rosalie explains to Adriana it's because, you know, pussy went in the program. Uh, Adriana says, who knows why people do what they do? Rosalie says... Well, what kind of person does that? I mean, it's like Judas or something, eating that last supper with Jesus, and the whole time he knows they're going to crucify him. 
I mean, at least Judas didn't go into any apostle protection program. He hung himself. He knew what he did. Oh, look at you. You're shivering. I didn't know it was that cold, sweetie. Ugh. Good portal. Thank you all for listening to part one of our season five retrospective. We'll be back in our next episode with part two of this discussion. You don't want to miss it. We have an electric and fiery listener mail segment in which we all get into one of the biggest arguments we've ever had on the show. Plus the continuation of our top threes and all the talk about Christopher, Adriana, Uncle Junior, and so much more. You definitely want to catch it. We're excited to bring it to you. Thank you so much for listening. Girl.